Welcome to Across the Pond, a Christian commentary on the way of Jesus in the world today with the co-founders of Red Letter Christians, Dr. Tony Campolo and Shane Claiborne. Red Letter Christians gets its name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red, and we are aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. Some episodes of this podcast have been adapted from our radio show, Across the Pond, which airs on Sunday afternoons in the UK on Premier Radio. Thank you for listening. Let's jump into this week's episode with Shane Claiborne. Well, hello, everyone. This is Shane Claiborne, and the name of the show is Across the Pond. We love talking about how our faith connects to the world that we live in and uh, is not just a ticket into heaven, but actually fuels us to try to bring heaven to earth, as Jesus said, to bring the kingdom uh, on earth as it is in heaven. And there's a lot of things in this world that don't look a lot like uh, heaven on earth. <laughs> they don't look like God's dream uh, for the world being realized. So that's where we get to participate in uh, uh, redeeming and transforming the world. And I love this show because I, it's a good excuse for me to uh, have some guests, some old friends and make some new ones. And I'm really excited about the conversation today. Uh, we've got an incredible uh, economist, sociologist, artist, uh, someone who studied violence and militarism and also is compelled by his faith, uh, a brother Alan Storkey. So it's great to be with you. Thanks for joining me. And you. It's lovely to be here. Yeah. So you've done so much work around uh, this this violence that is just plaguing the world. And, and I know it looks different in, uh, you know, different parts of the world. It looks different in the UK than it does here in the US. We've, even in the pandemic, Alan, we've had um, uh, record rates of gun violence um, in my city, Philadelphia, and all over the country. Uh, gun deaths are, are the highest that they've been in, in three decades. Um, uh, we, we, we just are seeing, uh, it used to be a hundred lives a day lost to guns. Now it's a hundred and ten almost lives every day lost to guns yeah. in the United States. So you probably know this, Alan, but the rest of you listening in, um, in my lifetime, 46 years uh, that I've been on, in, on this earth, <laughs> we, we've lost more lives to guns domestically in the United States than all the casualties in all of America's wars combined. Um, so it's just a stunning statistic. This year, gun violence became um, the, the largest cause of death of all youth and children in America. Uh, so it's impossible to be pro-life, to care about life and to ignore gun violence. But Alan, you also look at the big guns, right? Not, not just the the, the guns on our streets, but this idea of militarism and war, and maybe give us just a little pulse of where we're at in the world when it comes to weapons and war. Um, I know, you know, here in the U.S., we've got, last I heard, Alan, you can, do, you can be my fact checker on this, that um, we had bombs, we have bombs that are 80 times stronger than the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bomb that took, you know, hundreds of thousands of lives, 80 times stronger. And we also have the capacity of 50,000 
Hiroshima bombs in our nuclear arsenal. So, I mean, you just start to think, how many times do we need to blow up the world? You know, and as we look at what's happening in, in Russia right now, I mean, it's it's not going away. So tell us yeah. tell us what you're seeing. Uh, well, just a, an aside to start with, um, the, there was uh, one or two of those that dropped on the states. You bombed yourself. So there mm. was one in North Carolina, Gainesville. I don't know whether you heard about that, but... It was in uh, early 1961, and three of the four safety devices on it, when it, it hit the ground, it fell out of a bomber that disintegrated, hit the ground, and three of the four safety devices failed, and one held. The, the message went to the core of the bomb, and the last one held. Mm. So, you know, the, these are dangerous things. So, so basically, let's get the big picture out. So... Uh, the making, the industrial making of weapons got underway in the 1830s, 1840s. Since then, companies have sold them around the world, began with Krupp and Armstrong and so on. Uh, gradually, they've encouraged the world to militarise. They were very successful before World War I, and four arms races um, occurred. It sparked, and we had that great horrific war. Uh, and after that war, um, there was a, a great resolve for peace, and that was defeated by the militarists and in stories that aren't very t often told. And then we had set the Second World War when militarism got underway. Um, yeah. I'd argue that the Cold War was actually something that especially the U.S. military wanted because they needed an enemy, and and obviously. When wars end, suddenly the military takes a dive, but um, they, they succeeded in getting the military to kind of carry on in the, the late 40s. And we had the Cold War for half a century, and we're still generating them. Mm, mm. And my underlying understanding, which I think is very clear, is that the people who need wars are arms companies, and on the whole, they go out and get them around the world. Yeah, and you know, I think at one point, uh, one of the, the, the uh, uh, experts over here, I was on a panel with him and he said that we've had a hundred, over 150 countries have arms contracts with US companies like Lockheed Martin and Boeing. Yeah. And I mean, literally arming um, most of the world and sometimes making money off of wars where we're selling weapons to both sides, right? And just yes, profit, yes. profiting off of the escalation of violence. Alan, when I was let, in let Iraq- me, Let me tell you yeah, another ahead, story ahead, about that. So, yeah. so there, there was an occasion in, um, an MP reported this in the House of Commons in the early 1930s. And uh, what happened was that some Japanese arms buyers and some Chinese arms buyers. They were fighting one another, but they both turned up at the same arms factory at the same time and started talking to one another. And they found that they were being grossly overcharged. And so they got together and insisted on the British arms manufacturer uh, lowering the price of their weapons considerably. But um, mm. yeah, that's, that's the kind of thing that happens. When I was, it is wicked. And when I was in Iraq, this really uh, became 
you know, crystallized for me because I was uh, I was in Baghdad, uh, as you may know, in, in uh, a part of a peace team uh, standing against the bombing in the war. And at the time, the shock and awe campaign, some of our younger listeners, you know, they weren't even born, uh, yeah. you know, then. But this is um, there were 900 bombs a day some days being dropped on Baghdad while we were there. And I can remember talking to this Iraqi man, Alan, and um, he said, well, you know, all this talk of weapons of mass destruction. And he said, your government knows that we have some weapons because they have the receipts from them. <laughs> you know, and, and he said, you know, we lived through the Iran-Contra scandal. And he said, the 60 Bell helicopters that Saddam Hussein used to gas the Kurds, I mean, this horrific incident, yeah. he, he said, those were Bell helicopters from the yeah. United States. He, it literally, I began to realize, it's like if I were selling guns to the young people of my neighborhood and saying, uh, don't shoot each other. You know, I'm just trying to make a few bucks here, you know, but I mean, we've seen over and over the idea, uh, uh, the truth of Jesus's words. You, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And we're, we're literally like arming the world with swords that often come back to be yeah. used against us or against yeah. their own citizens. Right. Yeah. That one sentence is uh, a deep commentary on the whole of the hundred last hundred years. So, I, and, and I mean, I'm afraid you in the States have to face it. You have to face the fact that in uh, Afghanistan, you set out to train the Mujahideen to attack the Russians and so on. And you trained the CIA, put in billions of dollars of, of work, and you trained the people who did 9 11. Yeah. So you took the sword and you perished by the sword. And, and, and time and time again, wars do not work. Wars never work. They cost both sides. They're the biggest failure in industrial history. And, and the best that people hope for weapons is that you won't, you won't use them. I mean, yeah, just right. imagine running, running <laughs> do, doing your washing, and they sell your washing machine and say, well, the best we hope is that you won't have to use this washing machine. I mean, it's rubbish, but yeah, that's the way yeah. they, the whole industry is run. Yeah, it's been... It's, it's been said that it takes a lot of faith, right, to to believe that the world's going to be safe when we're arming so much of the world and we continue to live really despite the evidence, you know, like like with this idea that violence is going to solve our violence uh, or that, you know, we're going to arrive at peace by killing each other's children. Um, so let's talk about faith a little bit, because. I, I know that you you take your faith very seriously. A lot of the folks that are listening in uh, are compelled by their their faith and their love for Jesus. And it seems like Jesus gives us a pretty clear alternative to the sword, right? <laughs> that is message of loving our enemies. I mean, it, it, you know, manifesting itself on the cross as he forgives even those who are killing him and really is trying to show us a way that is different from this myth, uh, you know, of redemptive violence and living by the sword, dying by the sword. So talk a little bit about how you see Jesus in contrast to the kind of uh, militarism that we see in our world. Um, it's, it's very clear. Uh, Jesus is the, is the Prince of Peace and uh, he's the, is the one who stands against war, but it's a very deep message too, and it's a multifaceted one. And I don't think we we actually do it systematically enough. So um, 
so it occurs at many different levels. So in the Sermon on the Mount, we're told um, if you've got if there's a quarrel crops up and probably you're the culprit, then you, the culprit, go and sort it out before it gets too serious. Well, uh, what a good idea. What a good idea in terms of solving international um, uh, problems uh, uh, around the world. If we saw ourselves as a problem rather than usually as a solution. So that, that's one bit of it. Another bit of it is obviously you don't go, you don't go for the weapons. Um, you don't hang on to retaliation or any any sense of getting your own back. You learn to forgive, and in, and and international forgiveness is one of the most important things. And of course, we in the West have received forgiveness for a whole load of things, for colonialism, for slavery, and a whole range of things like that. Um, the, the rest of the world is often gracious towards us, but we don't mm. extend forgiveness to others. So, so and, and then we're told to, you know, spot wolves in sheep's clothing. Mm. Um, you, you, you identify the militarists. You don't, you don't um, just say, oh, um, of course we need defence. Here are, have a nice big budget and, and so on and so forth. We see that the people who are out building this structure have, have got evil intent and they're out to make money for the wrong reasons. And it's not just a question of, oh, dear, people have died. Uh, Thou shalt not murder goes back to the all the processes that create the situation where murder is likely to arise. Well, obviously, if you produce a load of guns and bombs, murder is likely to arise. But we somehow or another have, have made the, these weapons into things that are, 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 are somehow OK because they're mm. labelled with this thing called defence. So I, I just think that the, the depth and comprehensiveness of the whole of Jesus' teaching laid over our international affairs as well as our personal relationships is yeah. is just beyond i mean i mean it's the teacher the teacher who who who's dealing with uh, silly silly students yeah and, um, it's so good i you know and i i think one of the the grave uh uh, injustices that we've done within our theology is separate our personal discipleship from our social um, uh, you know, kind of awareness and the, the, the issues in society. And um, Jerry Falwell Jr., who um, was uh, the president of one of the largest evangelical schools in the U.S., uh, Liberty University, he, he was asked about his fidelity to Jesus and to Trump, how he was holding those together. This is just a few years ago. And he, yeah. he really famously said, um, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you can see the video and the transcript and everything. He said, uh, I don't look to Jesus when it comes to my political beliefs. And he, and, and he, he kind of, I'm glad he said it so straightforwardly, even as troubling as it was for me, but there's this idea that Jesus came to teach us personally how to treat our neighbors. And, you know, if yeah. our, our neighbors annoying, we should still love them. If someone cuts us off in traffic, we shouldn't have road rage. We should just uh, try to turn the other cheek. But when it comes to the real world, some would say, you know, <laughs> that the, you know, ISIS and Al Qaeda and, and Hitler, um, Jesus, it, it, it's almost like they, they can have this idea that Jesus was unrealistic, right? So what, what do you think about that? Do you encounter what, that? Two things. Yeah, yeah. First of all, the text. I mean, I've I've 
I have a book, Jesus and Politics, that just goes through the text. And if you take something like Jesus' temptation, you know, the third one, he's offered all the kingdoms of the world, all the kingdoms of the world, which rightfully belong to him, but on condition he bows his knee to Satan, to the evil one. And, and of course, um, you know, across the centuries, people have sought kingdoms and they've done evil to do it and they've got, they've got their kingdoms, whether it's the Roman Empire or, or, or the British Empire. Uh, and so on. So that, that that that's happened. But Jesus faces the temptation, and it's obviously a political temptation right at the beginning of his ministry. And he sees through it. He sees through it to the goodness of God, and that's the way he walks. So it, it's political through and through. It's the Messiah. It's the King of Kings. It's the Prince of Peace. It's 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 God with us, the Son of Man. Um, it's mm. all of these things. It's fully political as it's fully social. It's the whole of life lived before Jesus. Such a good word. And if you are just tuning in, uh, this is Shane Claiborne and the show is Across the Pond. I'm talking with Alan Storkey, who is just an incredible thinker. Uh, He's an economist, sociologist. He's also deeply committed to his faith. And you're an artist. I'm seeing some art behind you. You're an art lover. Tell me about the art you're doing, Alan. Well, I'll tell you about the picture over my shoulder, <laughs> uh, which is um, Leo Tolstoy. Okay, um, everybody says the greatest novelist ever. And uh, he wrote War and Peace and um, uh, Anna Karenina, great, great novels. But then he became a Jesus follower, uh, a Christian. And, and then he saw through the war thing, as, as did lots of other people in the late 19th century and early 20th century. And he said, you know, the, these, these, these people, somehow or another, they get through to the idea that murder, of course, is wrong, but mass murder is okay if the Kaiser tells you to or some other ruler. And, and we go for this, this utter bifurcation in our ways of seeing things. And we finish up with mass murder is okay, and it's backed mm. by nationalism and patriotism and all the rest of it. When of course it's just as evil. And and you know he 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 slaughters um, the views of the the time, and lots of people uh, followed and opened that up. So so he's one of my heroes. Yeah, yeah. that's a good one to have behind your back there. Yeah. Uh, certainly, as Leo Tolstoy has uh, taught me a lot about nonviolence and civil disobedience and so many yeah. things. Maybe maybe not. The, a lot about being a good husband, but I don't know. There's a great film about uh, his struggle between you know <laughs> being a husband and having all these great ideas. Have you seen that? Well, film? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's quite, it's quite, quite. Uh, his his wife was very upset that he didn't really want royalties for his books. He wanted people to have them free, and and she she was she was trying to manage the household budget, and uh, and and dear old Leo was giving all his money away and and setting up schools and all kinds of stuff so I, I think there was a, a financial problem behind that marriage yeah it's complicated it's complicated well here's here's what i i want we got a few minutes left uh with with alan storkey here i wanted to ask you you know it's easy for folks in the uk and canada and i mean even in other parts of the world to look at the united states and saying wow i mean that is a crazy place the gun violence i mean our uh, addiction to violence and militarism. I mean, yeah. the amount of weapons that we have. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. called yeah. the United States the greatest purveyor of violence in the world, uh, right? Yeah. 
Um, but this is not just a U.S. problem, right? So, I mean, the tendency sometimes is just to, uh, uh, you know, folks in the U.K. point to the U.S. and go, at least we're not that bad, you know? <laughs> but, no. but, you know, I mean, you've got the you've got this kind of marriage of state and church that often um, baptizes war and, and, you know, militarism. And so talk a little bit about what it looks like in context outside the U.S. and in your own context. Yeah, I, I want to get round to peacekeeping, uh, to uh, disarm, world disarmament too, because that's the crucial bit. But, Absolutely. Um, but the, the situation around the world is that um, I, I think the arms companies sell to all sides and gradually you generate people who trust in weapons. Now, the obvious people who trust in weapons are military dictators and, and they're, they're cropping up all over the place. And arguably some of our Western so-called democracies are coming, moving closer to being a military dictatorship than, than a democracy. But anyway, that's, mm. that's part of the pattern. So it's a, it's a worldwide problem and it's a massive problem. And basically we had the end of the Cold War and um, total arms sales dropped by about a third, I think, after, after the Cold War. But we're, we're, we're back into full-scale militarism and I think we're just about setting up for another Cold War with Russia and China very soon. Yeah, so, yeah. so we're, we're in a crisis. Now, let me just uh, address the whole business of world disarmament. World disarmament is seen as totally impractical, and that's because the militarists say arms are realistic and, um, and peace is unrealistic. Okay, mm. now, in, in, in within nations, apart from the states, obviously disarmament is very realistic and gives you peace. You can walk down the street without fearing anybody and, and arming people creates problems. So we've solved the problem within our states by disarming and we can do the same internationally. Now, the reason why international disarmament does not take place is that whenever it's been tried before, the military are put in charge and turkeys don't vote for Christmas. So you've just, yeah. you just blow the whole thing wide open. Mm. But if, if Christians really got behind this on the large scale, you know, we're, we're 2 billion Christians around the world. And we, if we, in principle, really attack this, we could, we could address it. And all you need is a simple rule, something like you cut military expenditure by 20% a year for five years, and then it's all gone. Yeah, and you yeah. immediately end arms production and you subsidize the arms companies 80, 60, 40, 20% and zero until they've transferred to other means of production. And we can find out where weapons are anywhere in the world now. There's no problem about you have open inspection. You can, you, you can monitor this. We could do arms. We could do world disarmament, but we, but we don't because the military stay in charge. They're in charge at the UN. They're in charge, obviously, through the Pentagon in the States, the same in Britain, and probably the same in... But, but everybody would benefit for peace. I mean, we're talking about wasting about 10% of total world GDP throughout the last century on war and the, uh, and the products of war. This would solve almost everything, poverty, um, global warming and a range of things like that. It's practical policy, but nobody's thinking about it because we're all taught to fear somebody else. 
yeah, we're, we're still right. in the Cold War. So well, and it's, I, I like your your optimism and your hope. And no, I, no, no, it's not yeah. optimism. Yeah, it's 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 the steady state of the gospel that says this is what God's purpose for the world is. Yeah, I like it, and I, you know, I I uh, am reminded of one of my friends that says, uh, uh, you know, faith and hope are about believing despite the evidence and watching the evidence change. You know, so looking at the world and saying it doesn't have to be this way, and in fact, I think it takes a lot of. Um, I mean, I, I think it's idealistic to think that we're just going to keep on living with these weapons that can destroy the world. Yeah. And um, I want to give you the last word in just a second, but y'all need to be praying for us over here in the U.S. Right now, we've got, you know, more than 20,000 U.S. dollars every second that are spent on militarism and war. 53% of, uh, of our discretionary budget at the federal level is going to militarism and war. The Pentagon spends more in three seconds than the average American makes uh, in a year. So Dr. King said, you know, a country that um, spends more money on military defense than on programs of social uplift is approaching a spiritual death. But we've all got, a, 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 you know, a, a role to play in this. So Alan, in the last um, minute, give us a word of what, you know, just an a everyday faithful Christian can do to counter the militarism and war. We, we stand up together and every one of us counts. It's democracy, it's people that count. And when Christians by conviction say, we need world disarmament, I'll put my name up and this is what um, I'm, I'm batting for. And when that begins to move through, through, through the world, that, that, that will change the situation, okay? And, and it will bypass the control that the militarists have. Bless you. That's a good word. That's a good word. So thanks for listening, everybody. You've been listening to Alan Storkey, our guest today. This is Shane Claiborne across the pond. See you next week. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to know more about Red Letter Christians, please visit redletterchristians.org for resources, upcoming events, and to connect with other people who are passionate about Jesus and justice. You can follow Shane Claiborne and Red Letter Christians on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you'd like to support our work with a one-time gift or by becoming a monthly sustainer of the movement, please visit our website and click on the red donate button. Thank you for tuning in.